0: You can be seated.
1: Well, it's gonna be a two and a half bottle sermon. I'm just kidding. I know y'all probably look at this Gatorade cooler down here and you know it's funny somebody had put on Facebook uh, yesterday something I've often said myself if people got as excited about church as they did the Super Bowl i would be surprised and you know that somebody put that on there and said well maybe you could dump the whole cooler of Kool-Aid or Gatorade on the pastor's head i want to tell you something I want everybody to hear this clearly if dumping that Gatorade on my head would entice you to be on fire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people would get saved and hit me every day. You see, I cannot think of any greater place to be than in the presence of God's people, being able to share God's word. Years ago, a movie came out called The Passion of the Christ. I'm sure that you're all familiar with it. Most of you have probably seen it. But something that brought me attention that when I first seen it, now, I don't know if this discourse took place, but I'll get to my point, is when Jesus is carrying the cross, he falls. And his mother is there, and his mother looks at him, and it shows the scene, a picture of him falling as a little boy. I you Remember, you see this. And again, that's not recorded in the Bible, so we don't know that this took place, but something that was said by him in the movie, he said, he looked at his mom says, I make all things new. Now, we don't know that that discourse took place because the Bible don't record it. I'm very careful. The Bible speaks, it speaks, if it don't, it don't. But what I will say is Jesus said that in Revelation 21.5. Behold, I make all things new. And I want to share with you this morning as we're back in Hebrews chapter 8. That because of Jesus being our great high priest, we have a better priest, but now he'll tell we have a better covenant. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, or you can look up on the screen as I read, and we're going to read several verses here. I'm going to begin in verse 4, okay, because that's where I left off the other day. uh, week before last, I want you to listen. We says, please stand with me as we read the word of God. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Now, I want to stop right there for a few moments to, to, to remind you, Remember? Jesus was not of the Levites, correct? He's from the tribe of Judah. He was not a descendant of Aaron, or the order of the priesthood of Aaron, but the priesthood of Melchizedek. Aaron's priesthood within. Christ's priesthood, what? Is eternal. So that's where we are. Now listen to what he says in verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. By as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming. He's quoting Jeremiah 31. Says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them from the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Hold to that. For this in the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and those day, after those days, said the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone on his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, Know the Lord. For all will know me From the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. You may be seated. A new covenant. By being the great high priest, he has ushered a new covenant. Now I want you to think about this. Okay, now let's go back to verse 6 because I want to go through these first three verses because I want you to circle something to draw your attention to it. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator, circle that, of a better covenant. Circle that. Now the reason I want you to do this is I want you to think about the word covenant. The word covenant here in the Greek and we're talking about the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, he uses the Greek word diotheke. Now, it's very important that you understand this because diotheke is used 330 times in the Septuagint, and it is used in the New Testament. But the other word for covenant is sythike, which is never used in the New Testament, but sometimes used in the Old Testament. So what is the point that you're trying to make with the difference of the Greek words? This is very important. Diophecae means will, a will. Synthicae means an agreement, if you will. Now, when he would use the word synthicae, what he's saying is a mutual agreement or a covenant between two people. But here's the difference I want you to understand. When people would meet with a synthike, it gives, the, uh, uh, gives the, not only the appearance, but it has in it that those two people who meet with that covenant or with that term may adjust the terms at their will. They meet on their terms. And both agreeing parties could change the terms depending on the circumstances. But diothache means this. You're meeting on God's terms. It's he who sets the foundation. That's very important. He said a better covenant by this as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Let me put it to you this way. Job 9.32 says, for he is not a man that I may answer him that we may go to court together. There is no umpire, if you will, between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Job acknowledged that he was a mere man and he had no right to complain his plight to God. You see this? He acknowledged that he had not that right to go to man, or to go to God with his complaints. But let me tell you what this means. Because of Jesus Christ, who is our great mediator, we can go directly to God. You see, there must be an understanding here. G. Martin McGee said this, if he were a man, I could talk to him. This is the reason God became a man, my friend, so that man could talk to him and walk with him and realize that he cannot meet God's standards. That's why Christ came. You see, the mediator in the first covenant was Moses. But now our mediator is Jesus Christ. For Moses is a man who's dead and now buried. But Christ is alive forevermore. But look what the Bible says. Which has been enacted for better promises. Oh, better promises. We'll get to that in just a minute. For if the first covenant had been faultless. Listen, circle that word. there would have been no occasion for a second i want you to understand very clearly who is at fault here the law was not at fault god is not at fault god is perfect he is holy he is blameless he is pure people were at fault they did not keep his covenant They could not because I want you to understand. Listen to me. I say this quite often. This is very important in the message. You will not run to God in your sin. You will run from him because each man will do as he so desires because understand this. Listen, man wants the glory. And I want you to understand too that God being righteous and holy and good and blameless give us an indication with the old covenant through the law that we were dirty, depraved people that could not meet his standards. I have told people this many times. Listen to me. There's nothing the law can do to save you. There's nothing that keeping the commandments do to save you. Listen, why do you say this? Because you can't. The law does not save you. The commandments do not save you. The law is like a mirror. It reveals the dirt. It can't clean it. Do you see my point here? Because here's the thing. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting excited. But look. For if that first covenant had been faultless there would have been no need for a second. God was not at fault. The people are at fault. For finding fault with them, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, where I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the hand to lead them out of Egypt for they did not continue in my covenant. I often tell people, the whole theme of the Old Testament is this, obedience equals blessings, disobedience equals cursings. Obedience equals blessings, disobedience equals cursings. They did not do what God had commanded them. They were at fault. One of the things that gets me the most, yeah, I'm getting ahead, but I got to go there for some reason. But listen, one of the things that gets me the most is why isn't God more patient with us? Why is he more loving? Why would he do these things? Let me tell you something. You are a person created out of dirt. R.C. Sproul gave an illustration of this, and I won't quote him because I'll miss it, but I'm going to tell you this. Out of dust, man was created. And God said, you can have any tree except this one. The whole Garden of Eden. You can have everything except one thing. Do not touch that one. And what did they do? They touched it because he said, if you'll eat of that, you will surely die. But God spared them. He spared them. He gave them clothes to cover their naked body. And he banned them from the garden. And flaming angels would say, you can't ever come. But God, in His mercy, in His mercy, sent prophets to say, Follow the Lord, for He is faithful. Repent! But yet, men chose to go their own way and did not follow God in obedience. And he gave them a covenant which they could not keep because they wanted to go their own way. And just like us, they get led out of the very hand or very hand of bondage from Egypt by the very hand of God to see the miracles and the workings of Almighty God, and yet they still complained. We hungry. And God gave them manna. I don't like it. Isn't that like us? He was feeding them the word of God. He was pride, providing for their needs, but yet they turned their back on him and continued to press forward. And they mocked his name. And yet God kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet. Repent. Believe. Believe follow me. And yet, men failed, Because as Solomon say in the book of Ecclesiastes, for the eyes never satisfied with seeing nor they ear hearing this side of heaven. Because man's desire is to have that of heaven right now here on earth. But yet God in his mercy sent his son Jesus Christ with a new covenant not carved on stones but carved in the hearts and minds of men whereas you put your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ you may be saved and you said God hadn't done enough I don't think anybody's going to have an argument when they stand before the Father in the end of time and say, God, why didn't you do more? For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them. I want you to look who abandoned first, it was men. Never being satisfied because they neglected the Word of God. For they did not continue, they neglected. What do you neglect? There's an illustration that was told one time that all these demons were in hell and they were talking about how to keep people from the gospel. One of them raised his hands and said, You know what? Tell people there's not a God. There was silence amongst them. As one said, no, nah, we can't do that because most people believe there's a supreme being. Well, hmm. Tell them that the Bible ain't true. Silence again. Well, most people know that the word of God is written. It's the word of God. And one person says, no, tell them that God is real, Jesus Christ is real, and the word of God is real, but they have plenty of time to make a decision to follow him. And everybody agreed. Let me tell you something and listen real clearly. Neglecting to follow the Lord God Almighty is dangerous ground that you tread. And one of the greatest faults of men is neglecting to do what God has called them to do. Neglect. And see, I want you to understand, too, that they learned this lesson, but yet we don't seem to learn ourselves. It's like I believe it was in Indiana, a lady who was in her house had noticed a bunch of bees that were going in and out her attic. She didn't think nothing about it, let them go, and all of a sudden there was more bees. Till one day she's sitting in her living room and her whole roof collapsed. Because all those bees were going in, were honey bees, and it's one of the biggest hives that's been built. And the weight of the honey and the weight of the bees collapsed the roof until it was too late. Neglect is a dangerous thing, people. There is no tomorrow. We follow Jesus Christ today. Look what he says To lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of house of israel after those days says lord i will put my laws into their minds and i will write them on their hearts take into consideration in context of this passage he's referring back to jeremiah he's speaking language that the hebrew people would know because they loved their prophet jeremiah jeremiah who would prophet many many years ago would be rejected by his own people who would lament over jerusalem and its destruction who would lament over the people in their refusal to return from, or, or return to following the Lord, who would, who would wallow in their misery and they would persecute him for it. But yet he had faith and he cried out and God told him, one day there's coming a hope that won't be written on stone, but be written in the hearts of men. See, following rules will not save you. We talked about this a little earlier. It's not what you do that condemns you eternally. It's what you are that condemns you. Now listen to me, go with this. See, a lot of times when we talk about this, we like to pick out particular sins. We go through this. Well, my sins are not as bad as theirs. You know, you see, I, I, I don't watch dirty things. I don't watch, you know, or do drugs. I don't go out there and try to murder people. And, you know, covetry and and, 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 and gossip kind of far down the line, ain't it? See, that's the problem with people. You set the standard for sin. You set the standard for what's righteous and unrighteous based on your life, not based on the holiness of the Almighty God. And then what happens is, listen, we begin to believe that standard so much that we compare ourselves to other people and say, we're just a little bit better. Let me assure you, as Isaiah tells us, we are all like sheep and have gone astray. All of us. For there are none that are righteous, no, not one. Which means this. Every single one of you is born with a God-sized hole that only you can fill. It is not what you do that makes you who you are. It's not whether you drink, cuss, smoke, uh, fall over from drugs, whether you watch pornography, whether you do this. Listen, it's not what you do. You do what you do because you are what you are. We are fallen people that have not placed our faith and trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. On the flip side, remember I was talking about church. Coming to church does not make you a Christian. No more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Remember we said that last week from the words of Keith Green. That don't change anything. But if you're a Christian, you'll want to go to church. If you're a Christian, you want to serve and be righteous. Why? Because God is in you through His Holy Spirit. Because you have been changed by that new covenant, the new great high priest, Jesus Christ. You're changed. You do what you do because you are what you are. Look what he says. And I will put my laws in their minds and hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Listen to me, folks. There is no greater peace than knowing that when you lay your head down at night, you're one of God's people. I don't know what the next day holds for me. I don't hold tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow, and that's enough. But to be God's people, it has to be written in your heart. And what's written in your heart is placing your faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, he will give you a new nature. He will forgive you. And you will be his people. That is the greatest peace that you can ever have. Look at what the word says. I love this. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen. And every one his brother saying, know the Lord, for all will know me. Let me tell you something. This is beautiful. What does that mean? It means if you are born again, believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you discerning what is right from wrong. That's what that means. You know, because greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. You're saved to the uttermost. Your want-tos change. You know you hear me say that a lot. I know one day I'm going to walk off this. It'll be okay. Put me back on there. (laughs) Listen to me. You heard how I said it's not what you do that makes you what you are, but what you are that makes you do what you do. Listen. Listen. Hear me. God cleans this up before he cleans this up. It's not the other way around. God cleans the heart before he cleans this. And when God cleaned this, I had a different view on life. My life changed. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. I've been born again. By Jesus Christ, which you know what that means? I'm a new creation. My want-to's changed. Tiffany and I were talking about this, and I'm not trying to go back to last week, but to be honest with you, I'm glad y'all show up on a rainy day. Christ is to be worshiped, period. And you see, she would tell you, when my boys were little, Y'all know I got the two 12-year-olds, but I got two grown kids and I got grandkids. I'm getting old, that's good. But when my children were small, my wife took them to church and I used to complain about it. Why are you want to go? And I'd look for every excuse to go fishing or try to keep her and hinder her from going to church. And let me tell you something. I just didn't want to be around people. But when Jesus Christ saved my soul in the bathroom of my home, he did a work in me that I couldn't do in myself. And I wanted to start sitting beside my wife and learning more about Jesus. Because the true heart of a Christian As he holds unswervingly to his faith, he loves God with all his heart, soul, and mind. Number two, remember that he encourages one another, he loves his neighbor as himself. And number three, you want to sit here with other believers in Jesus Christ. I want to be here. My want to's change. And I realized for once in my life that I wasn't coming to church to see what the church could do for me. But I was coming to church to worship God and give Him the glory because He alone is worthy. That's the difference. I don't come here today or encourage anybody else today because we got the greatest opportunities here. Listen to me. I have told you many times in the words of Adrian Rogers, I am not the best preacher in the world. There are many people that can preach the gospel better than I can. But nobody can preach a better gospel than I can. Because there's only one. And God will use that for his glory. And I want to be with you. Not because of what I do. I cannot come here and work my way to heaven. That's what are saying, people? There's nothing that you can do that works your way to heaven. But if you have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, you'll be working here and looking forward to going to heaven. Amen? There's a big difference. Look what he says. For all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. I use this illustration often, but I want you to understand what it means from the least to the great. Now listen to me. I don't know anybody standing in here. I don't, I don't, look, my wife would tell you, I don't face stalk, book stalk anybody. I got better things to do. But what I will tell you that everybody in here comes from different backgrounds, whether financially, whether racially, whether ethically. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I see from the least to the greatest, I cannot think of that little lady at that leper's colony who, when a missionary was there, was asking if there are any songs that she would like to sing. She raised her hand and had one finger left on it. And he said, yes ma'am, what would that be? He said, count your many blessings. I don't care where you've been or who you are or what you've been through. Christ alone is able to save. And I don't care what you think your standing is in the world. Christ is superior to all things. And I can promise you, by putting your faith and trust in him, he has carved eternity in your heart. And that eternity is not from a priest who had to make sacrifices once a year for himself because he was flawed. He was imperfect. But the sacrifice made by a perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, once and for all. And let me tell you something. You heard me even saying this every week. You don't have to go to some man to tell you to forgive you. Because of Jesus Christ, the eternal, everlasting high priest from the order of Melchizedek, you can go to him directly. Because the Bible tells me in Romans, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That will excite you people. That I have a mediator that is not some flawed individual, but I have the mediator who is perfect in all his ways. Who, when he was on the cross... Said to Stella, Telestai, it is finished, and I believe you meant every word. Amen. From the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful in all their iniquities. To their iniquities, and I will remember the sins no more. I want you to think about this. Now you've heard me. You see, when they would practice the old sacrificial system, they would lay their hands on that animal, whatever animal you could bring and the blood would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat. But see, that offering did not remove the sin. It covered it. It covered it. But I want you to look at the words that are written right here, and I want you to hear me. And I pray, everybody look at me when I say this. Everybody look at me. He says, and I will remember their sins no more. Let me tell you something. He don't cover them through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ removed them. They are removed. You don't know what I've done. You've asked Christ for forgiveness. It's done. Do you hear me? We talked about this this morning. I guarantee you we've all got skeletons in our closet. Some more than others. You may have skeletons with flesh on them. You might have a whole sack full hanging in there. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. But I know what Christ done on the cross. And I know that his word says, I will remember them no more. One of the greatest things that Satan loves to use on you is your past. He loves to use what you've done. He loves to use that thing that you did when you hurt so many people. Or somebody hurts you. It could be anything that you've done. And he loves to use it and remind you of it. Let me tell you something. If Satan can keep you in worry and in, in, in stress, then he has succeeded in keeping on you keeping you from furthering the of God, kingdom of God. But listen, it's not what you do that, that has the sins remembered no more. i got to make it clear. It's not all of a sudden I decide to be a good person. You are not good. Okay? I know this gets me in a little bit of trouble, but I've said this many times. When I die, there better not be a soul that says Chad was a good man. I am not good. There is no good in me. The only goodness in me is Christ who lives in me. I am flawed. You are flawed too. So there's nothing that makes me good. I don't decide to be a good person. I understand that I am a dead person that can only be revived by the blood of Christ. Christ did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men live. Period. And let me tell you something. If I am dead to my sin, then he says he remembers it no more. Isn't that a beautiful blessing? See, we as people don't understand forgiveness. We hold grudges. Now, I want you to think about this for a few moments. How many people you hold a grudge against now? You don't have to lie and raise your hands so and don't worry about it. Look, but listen. I know you do. We've all done it. I do not like that person. What if God held grudges? What if God said, well, forgive them, but, you know, I hope they fall on their face. God doesn't do that because that'd be contrary to God's character. And it should be contrary to the Christian character. You want a better friend? You pray for the one you have. You want a better preacher? You pray for the one you have. You want a better leaders of music band? Pray for the one you have. Better Sunday school teacher, better deacon, pray for the ones you have. Because none of us can stand here and point at the other and say, God condemn you. Because there's none of us worthy of that or greater than that. All I can tell you is this. Listen to me. That he who saved my soul He saved me because he had grace and mercy upon me, period. That that I did not deserve, unmerited favor, grace, that that I did not deserve, he gave me freely through his son Jesus Christ. And if I believe and trust in him, as I said taught last week, what faith is, is putting yourself in the whole seat of Jesus. In other words, resting all your weight upon him. That's faith. And if I believe, and I trust, and I follow, he remembers no more. So that means this, that if I understand what Christ has done in my life, I am to practice the same things to my fellow brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen? Look what he says. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And when he said a new covenant... He made the first obsolete. Let me tell you something. Jesus fulfilled it. That that we could not live up to. He did so perfectly. Him you know, fully God and fully man. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. I praise God for the new covenant in Christ. I'll give you some differences what you to think about this. The old covenant was written on God by tablets of stone. The new covenant is written by God on hearts of people. The old covenant ends in bondage, though no, through no fault of its own. But the new covenant provides true liberty. I love this. The old covenant, the Holy Spirit was given for certain people at certain times for certain purposes. But let me tell you something on the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is given to all those that believe. I want you to understand that the old covenant demanded repetitious, imperfect sacrifices. But the new covenant provided, once and for all, a perfect sacrifice. Of his son Jesus Christ for us. You see, what this means is this. Where you stand today, where you are in your life, whatever it may be, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter who your dad is, who your husband, who your wife, who your children are, no matter who you work for, No matter whatever you have ever done, Christ will save you. And He will cleanse you and give you a new nature. Well, Chad, I believe in God, and I've said a few prayers. Let me tell you something. Everybody prays. The illustration I always love to use is if you've never been in turbulence on an airplane, I can't tell you how many people I've heard bargain with God. God, if you'll let me have this, I'll do better. God, if you'll make me well, if you'll give me money, if you'll make me happy, Lord, I'll do this. We don't bargain with God. God. those that are truly saved understand that are truly saved understand this listen to me very clearly clearly carefully those that are truly saved understand that they got to stand before a holy righteous god they're not scared of getting their skin singed but they are standing before a holy righteous god listen it's not that you know god does he know you Because he says in his word, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal people? Did you hear that? I didn't say that. The word of God does. Did we not do this in your name? What does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. If I went to the White House right now and said I need to see Joe Biden because I know him, I guarantee you they're not going to let me in. But they would let me in if I knew, or if Joe Biden knew me. You see the difference? It's not trying to make a bargain with God or not trying to do things better because you think you can become a better person on your own. It's realizing that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. And in your sin, there is forgiveness by placing your faith and trust in the work and person of Jesus Christ. He is merciful and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Chad, why do you share this every week? I'm going to tell you why I share it. Because I can't lay my head down at night knowing that anybody in this place that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ not hear the gospel. I will not ever assume that since you come to church that all of you are believers. Because I sit in church almost 30 years of my life and never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may have a lot of biblical knowledge. You may have been baptized. You may have said, I do, and I I, I agree to the pastor. But let me tell you this is what I mean, please. That those that are truly saved have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, have repented of their sin. And those that were going this way are now going this way. That's salvation. To be born again. You change directions. Not on what you've done, but what Christ has done in you. And please understand me. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. That home that you're going back to today somebody else will own and they'll fight over it. We can't take anything with us. I don't know when you're going to leave this world but you can know how you leave it. Does God know you? Does he know you through his son Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him? was I invite the band up to sing. Listen. I ask everybody to examine yourself, And you ask yourself this question. Now listen to me. Everybody, you ask yourself this question. If you were standing before God right now and he said, why should I let you in my presence? What would you tell him? I went to church. Depart from me. I never knew you. I I tithed. Depart from me. I never knew you. I attended all the events. I raised my children. I did all good things. Depart from me. I never knew you. Chad, that seems harsh. The other thing that I want you to understand real clearly, a true Christian understands that he deserves the wrath of God. as the thief was on the cross. And the other, I want you to tell you this story. Listen to me. Matthew records that those who hung with him reviled him. Listen, the Bible's so cool if we'll read it. The Bible says in Matthew's account of it, he's he's looking at a different time of day, he says, and those who hung with him reviled him. Those, those, plural. But something happened. And the Bible records that while that thief was hanging there, he looked at Jesus. And he looked at that other thief, and that other thief says, If you be the Son of God, save yourself and us. And the thief, the other thief, looked at him and says, Have you no fear of God, seeing we are in the same condemnation? We are getting what we deserve. Remember me. When you're into your kingdom. And at that moment that he died, that thief who had no significant importance on this earth became in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because he placed his faith and trust in the person and the work of Christ on that cross. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. To understand. To see that you're saved, you must understand that you're lost and undone and you get what you deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve it. And again, I can promise you when we get to heaven there's nobody going to be able to say, God, why didn't you do just a little bit more? Through his grace and mercy who should have killed us all, poured his wrath upon his Son, Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And by his stripes and wounds, we are healed. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, there's no greater peace than you can have in your life. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Christ, you're not my brother and sister. What I want you to be. Do you know that you know that you know that if you laid your head down at night and today be your last day on this earth, that you would be in the presence of Christ? I can't save you. I don't have no magical formula. But what I do know is like the Word of God says, you come to Him in faith and repentance and He will change your life. And He will give you a new, created life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your grace and mercy. And God, as they play right now, Lord, I'm just asking that everybody examine their hearts. And ask the question, if they were standing before you today, and you said, why should I let you in, what would you say? God, there's nothing I can say on my effort that will merit me being in your presence. God, I pray today if there's one here that does not know you, and Lord, most importantly, you don't know them that You convict their heart, that they turn to You in faith and repentance, and You said You would make them whole. Lord, we pray and believe that You take the dead and give them new life. It's not what we do that makes us saved. It's not the prayer. It's not the baptism. It's not all the things we do in church. The only thing that saves us is Your Son. And Lord, I pray that if there's those here that does not have a relationship with you, that they placed in faith and trust in you before it's eternally too late. Lord, for those that are born-again believers who struggle with a lot of things, God, you know. And your word tells us very clearly that in this life we will have trouble. But you'll give us your peace. God, I pray today that the peace that surpasses all understanding will clothe your brothers and sisters, your daughters and children, our brothers and sisters, your daughters and children, Lord, that we would hold unswervingly to that faith that we possess for you that yes. promised is faithful. Yes. Lord, I don't know what it's like to walk out of the street and be attacked or gunned down for being a believer. But Lord, I'm not immune to the thought that one day it's coming. Lord, we are so given the opportunities to... Proclaim your name freely. And yet we fail to do so. Lord, I pray for every born again believer in here that you instill a sense of urgency in them. That they would share the good news of your son Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for what you do. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we put your name continually for you alone are worthy of all praise. Mm-hmm. And it's in your name I pray. Please stand and worship with us.
0: Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpour, There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled Grace, grace, God's grace
1: Grace that
0: will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that is greater than all our sins and despair, like the sea waves, cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yet grace untold, points to the refuge of mighty cause. Dark is the stain.